How would a young widow take her little girl and intentionally seek out an indigenous group of people known as the Akas, find them, live among them, all for the purpose of giving them the same gospel that her husband and his team tried to give them and were killed for doing so. It's exactly what happened to Elizabeth Elliot. That's her story. When Jim Elliot and Nate Saint and others were killed brutally and senselessly by the Aka Indians that they were trying to reach with the love of Christ, the gospel of Christ. And just a few short years after that happened, she goes back to them, lives among them, loves them, and reaches them for Christ to the point where now there are thriving communities of disciples of Jesus Christ. How can people like the Eustaces that we just saw purposely stay in an environment that you just saw and heard about is lacking the very basic fundamentals that you and I enjoy and take for granted every moment of every day. Gas in the car, lights on, in a place of worship and in your homes, water, support from local, state, and federal governments. Still, we still have that. Sure, it's been affected a a little bit from what it used to be, but we still have it. How can someone who works a full-time job uh, still devote so much time to a ministry to support people like the Eustaces and others around the world that don't have, again, what we take for granted, Bibles in multiple versions, theology books, of any type and variety that we would want? How can that person be willing to go all the way to Mexico in August? How do these people do this kind of thing? Where in the world do they get such motivation? How are they able to remain so motivated to be on mission for the Great Commission no matter what? How do people like Elizabeth Elliot, how did she do that? How do people like the Eustaces and our own Don Johnson and many, many others, where does their motivation come from? I believe it comes from and is something that they all have learned and something that they all owned, which is this absolute fact And this is something that is not something that just foreign missionaries and those that are around the world in difficult circumstances have to learn. This is something that is applicable and relevant and essential for you and me here to learn as well. Because as we were reminded this morning, and it's always true, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a missionary for Christ. 
And so the lesson that they all have learned and the secret for their motivation to remain on mission must be ours as well. Here's what it is. Here's what has to be true of us as it is true of them. Our motivation to remain on mission can't be based on comfort or convenience. Our motivation to remain on mission can't be based on comfort or convenience. And all the great missionaries that you have probably read about or heard about throughout history, William Carey and Adoniram Judson, and on and on I could go with that list, and people like the Eustaces and people like Kim Pulliam, they would all agree with that. They would all say, yes, that's absolutely true. They've experienced the truth of that in their lives. And, and why is that so important for us to know and hear today? It's because here in our Americanized Christianity, comfort and convenience are often king instead of Jesus. Just calling it like it is. And hey, I'm just as guilty of that as anyone. We have been trained and molded and shaped and we have allowed ourselves to be assimilated into this faulty reality that being a Christian is actually synonymous with being comfortable. And that is what so often defines our entire way of life here in the American church. We pursue comfort and we pursue convenience almost more than anything else. And we depend on comfort and convenience to dictate what and how we do in terms of ministry, in terms of our mission. Yeah, we'll be on mission for the Lord. We'll be on mission with the Great Commission. We know that's important. We'll say amen. We'll shake our heads. We'll support it. So long as our comfort is not too drastically altered. So long as it remains convenient for us. It's just the the cold hard truth that so often defines us as believers in this time, in this place. But my friends, my precious brothers and sisters, that is not what we're called to. To pursue or lift up. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in and of itself with being comfortable. There, there's no sin in being comfortable. Make sure you understand what I'm saying here. What I, what I am trying to drive home is that the error and the failure and what is sinful happens when we elevate our comfort above anything else. When we hold tightly to comfort, refusing to let it go, even when that's called for. When, when our motivation is dependent on our comfort level, that is where it's wrong. That is where it's absolutely sinful. And that's what we need to reject. So if, if our motivation to remain on mission can't be based on or dependent on our comfort or our convenience... The obvious question then is, okay, what what do we find motivation in? What should our motivation to remain on mission be based on? Where, Where should our motivation come from then? Where's the right place? I want to suggest to you 
just four what I believe are essential, crucial areas of motivation for all of us who are believers in Christ and therefore all of us who are missionaries for Christ. These are four foundations from which our entire motivation to be faithful to the Great Commission has to come from. Think of these as the four corners of a foundation that that we build on, just like any structure is built on, on a solid foundation. This, I believe, makes up the essential foundation for all of us, whether we're missionaries here locally or whether we go all over the world uh, and, and go into places that uh, the Eustaces are experiencing or others. Uh, it, it's really all the same. The motivation has to be the same and has to come from the same places. So uh, I want to suggest to you those four areas. First of all, and, and really most importantly, uh, our motivation has to come from love for Christ. Love for Christ. If we don't love Christ supremely, we will not have a desire to serve Him supremely. He has to be our supreme love, our supreme devotion, our supreme affection. And our love for our Savior has to go beyond the songs we sing with those words in them. It's really easy for us to sing all the songs about how how much I love Jesus, Jesus, my heart is yours, and and things of that nature. And and that's great. We do need to express our love for Jesus through song and through worship. and, And we need to affirm those things. But our love for Jesus is lived out, it's fleshed out, it's verified by what we do for Jesus. Our love for Him is proven by obedience to Him. And over all of our lives is a call to a very specific obedience. It's obedience to the great commission that he gave and commanded all of us right before he left to return to his father. That command that was issued originally to the disciples extends through every age, through every culture, through all who know him as Savior and Lord. The commission is for every Christian. And here's what John 14, 15 has to say in Christ's own words. He said this, If you love me, you will keep my commands. You don't really get much simpler than that, do you? And that certainly extends to every area of our lives. That that covers everything that he does command for us as followers of him. And we see that all through the word. But I want us to make sure we understand In our context today that we're talking about, and all month long as we're talking about the emphasis on missions, this command that we're to follow must start with the great commission, the great command. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, when he was explaining the, the need and the urgency for being ambassadors of Christ, for making the appeal... Uh, to all that are lost on God's behalf, be reconciled. We talked about that just last week. Paul said the reason for that, his motivation for doing all that he did, for enduring hardship and persecution and rejection, was the love of Christ. He said the love of Christ compels us. It, It drives us on. And love of Christ is twofold. It's having love for Christ yourself as a a follower of Christ. And it's also the love of Christ for the lost. That drives us on. We need to have that same motivation. 
And it all starts with love for Christ that translates into obedience to Christ. And the way to start is by fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, in addition to love for Christ, as we, as we pursue that, as we seek to have that grow in our hearts and our lives, another key area of motivation to remain on mission has to come from the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. We can have all the right desire in the world. We can have all the right knowledge in the world uh, about what it means to share the gospel and to proclaim the gospel. That can be of, of utmost importance to us, and it should be. But none of us, no matter how right our desire, no matter how vast our knowledge, no matter how great our personal strength is, none of us on our own or by ourselves can adequately or accurately carry out the Great Commission of Christ. It's too big for us. It's too much for us. We're too weak in ourselves. We still struggle too much with our own failures. We still are too prone to sin to be able to do this effectively. Here's what Jesus again said to his original disciples in Luke 24, verse 49. Luke 24, 49. He says this, And look, I am sending you what my Father promised, which is the Holy Spirit. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then that's echoed in Acts 1, 8. He says this, But you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus here was saying a remarkable thing to his followers. He's saying, I have sent you out, I've commissioned you, but you need to make sure you don't do anything until you receive a very specific presence of power. Don't go out and just start trying to be the witnesses that I've sent you out to be. You need to wait. And you need to wait for the promise of the Father. You need to wait for a specific person, a divine person, God the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you this amazing gift that will be with you, that will enable you to be the messengers I've sent you out to be. This mandate I've given you to be on mission for me, you need His power to actually do it. And just as true as that was for the original disciples, it's true for us today. We can't depend any less on the empowerment of the Spirit of God than they could or they did. And this is true again for every type of missionary, international and local. Those who plant churches, those who are part of the church. It's true for all of us. That means church here at Faith Baptist, Prosperity, West Virginia. This means you can't possibly go about fulfilling your mission to carry out the Great Commission in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your church, without constant dependence on the Spirit of God. 
So, that must also be a very essential and continual part of our motivation to remain on mission. Additionally to that, not only do we need to depend on the love for Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. It's great to have all kinds of different techniques in ministering to the world around us and the lost around us. It's, it's fine to have different strategies of kingdom work. That's fine. It's fine to read all kinds of great books written by solid men and women of God. It's good to listen to different perspectives from different speakers and pastors and teachers that line up with the Word of God. That's all good and well. It's great to to get very specific, concentrated training at places like Appalachian Bible College and other institutions. Those, Those are good things. That's great that we have Greater Beckley Christian School to apply the truth of Scripture to all the different areas of academic study. All that is great. But church, nothing can take precedence over what is clearly revealed and already laid down and established as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be built onto it. Nothing needs to be taken away from it to make it more relevant or easy to access or accept or swallow. It is everything needed to change a life forever. And only the gospel can change a life forever. So we need to make sure we don't dilute it or add anything onto it or raise anything else up to the same level as it. It is only the gospel forever that makes someone new in Christ. Here's what Romans 1.16 says, the Apostle Paul writing. I want you to notice his trust in, his dependence on, his love for the gospel. In this text, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not you know, afraid to proclaim it. I don't have any doubt in it. I don't need to do anything to it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First, to the Jew in keeping with God's covenant promise, and also to the Greek. That's everyone else. That's you and me. First to the Jew, as God's chosen people, and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. The power of the gospel is still the power of God for salvation, church, and it always will be. There will never be another power powerful enough to break through the barriers of sin and shame. There will never be another power powerful enough to take you from what you used to be and make you something entirely new. No other power is necessary. No other power is available except the power of the gospel given through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the love for Christ that motivates us to be faithful and obedient to the gospel and to proclaim that power. Then lastly, but certainly not least in any way, 
Our motivation to remain on mission must be based on a heart broken for the lost. A heart broken for the lost. There is an incredible example of this in Scripture from the Apostle Paul. It's one of the most powerful, convicting statements that you will ever read or hear. Romans 9, 1-5. through He says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. In other words, that this is true. Here's what he bears witness to. Here's what is true that he's not lying about. Verse 2. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Verse 4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Wow. What a burden. What a conviction. What a brokenness. Over the lost, over those outside of Christ. Have you ever been that broken, that burdened for the lost? Have I? This wasn't just limited to Paul. Uh, Early in history, in the Old Testament, Moses said to God, right after Israel rebelled against him and prostituted themselves from God and worshipped the idol, the golden calf, Moses said to them, God, please have mercy and forgive them. But if you will not forgive them, please put your judgment on me and blot out my name in your book. Wow. That is love for the lost that we all should have, but can only be given to us by the Spirit of God. And it's truly God-like love. It's truly a God-like burden. It's truly a God-like heart to be that broken over the lost. You know, this series that we're in is all about our missionary God. And as we talk about what it means for us as missionaries, uh, we have to keep going back to what our missionary God is like. And we need to seek to have His heart and reflect His character in all that we are and all that we do. And this kind of burden, this kind of brokenheartedness for the lost is true of our missionary God. We see in Matthew 9, 36 through 38 that this personified Jesus. This is exactly where He was. This is exactly the kind of heart that He had as God in the flesh. And that's what Paul had and It's what we should have as well. Here's what the text says about Jesus. And then this is also what he will will hear him say directly. Matthew 9, 36-38. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
His heart was moved for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what he came to be, the great shepherd. In verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It means it's a bumper crop. It's overflowing. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. That means with all of your heart. Pray with a burdened heart. To the Lord of the harvest, which is Him, to send out laborers into His harvest. Church, that needs to be our constant prayer. And if that is our constant prayer, what will, what will naturally take place, what will happen, is that our heart will start to break more and more for the lost that we are praying for. And that's what should happen. Our hearts should break. Our hearts should not be able to rest Our hearts should not be okay with millions of lost people all around us. That should never be all right with us. And our hearts should never stop breaking. You know, what Paul says he could wish could happen... It could never happen. Praise God for that, that once you're in Christ, you are forever in Christ. Once you're part of Him, you'll never be not part of Him if you're truly in Him. So that couldn't happen. But what what a description of what it means to have a broken heart burden for the lost. And would that that would be true of every one of us. That that would occupy our mind and our heart and our energy and our focus. That what we do here at Faith Baptist Church would never be about us making our name great, making more of ourselves, being more comfortable in church, getting our preferences more and more on display and more and more realized and more and more pursued. What makes us better and happier and more convenient. May that never be what drives us and motivates us. May this kind of heart be our heart, a heart broken for the lost. May the power that we rely and depend on, church, be the power of the gospel alone. May the power of the Holy Spirit be what we pursue and completely rely on and focus on and ask for more willingness to pursue and depend on. And may the love for Christ Drive and motivate and empower and keep us focused on in all that we do and all that we are. That is the motivation that we need to remain on mission. Like others who have gone before us, like others who we support, needs to be the same for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that what is true of people like Elizabeth Elliot and William Carey and Adoniram Judson and David Livingston and 
Further back from that, the early church fathers who gave their lives in martyrdom and Jesus, your disciples and apostles, people like Paul and Peter and James and John. And then looking ahead to today, as we were reminded of people like the Eustaces, and we see what our precious brother and sister are facing every day as they continue to minister where you've led them to. They haven't run, they haven't retreated. May all of that be true of us here, now, this moment, this day, and tomorrow and the day after. And may it be true of us in increasing measure, Father. May we support as much as we can, as much as you've enabled us to, and as much as you give us the ability to support the work of your servants all around the world. May we go and join them, or go where they are not. And in between doing either of those things, please empower us by your Spirit. Empower us with the gospel that we have received. Empower us with love for your Son to do all that all these other people have done and are doing all over the world right here in southern West Virginia. May we be about your business, Father, just as your Son was always here on earth and just as he gave us a command to follow his example in doing. Help us to be motivated to remain on mission no matter what. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.